I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome into Poke the Bear, episode 143, presented by our good friends over at FanDuel. Connor, what is up? Evan, I'm kind of sweaty. I'm in Florida right now, but I'm trucking through it. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. You're trudging through the beautiful Florida weather. How is it down there? Can you give us a, a live weather report? What is it like? Humid. Very humid down here. Yeah. I, 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 every time I decide to make my way down to the Sunshine State, I walk walk around and I'm like, I don't think I could live here. Nope, I don't think I could do it. So that's usually my initial takeaway. But very excited uh, for a game three and four to get started down here in lovely Sunrise, Florida. Yes, uh, should be interesting games. Uh, before we get to that, though, um, I would like to give a big rest in peace to your blue check mark and to many others' blue check marks. They're gone. They were fun while they were here. Now you're back. With the peasants like me, welcome back. Mm. Welcome back to uh, to to level one. I'm happy to be back, Evan. You know, it's 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 always fun when a complete uh, doofus fucks up his social media account and, and means we all have our blue check marks. So I'm happy to be amongst the people again. I guess is the best way to put it, right? The but regular folk, the common yes. folk, us, the yes. common folk, the uh, the, the blue collar people. That's uh, that's us. So welcome back. Uh, but I know people are. Um, enraged right now that we're not getting to uh, many different topics at hand regarding uh, the Boston Bruins. Uh, we'll start here because we d- uh, we'll get to game two in a second. Obviously, we're moving on, looking at games two, uh, games three and four. Uh, but we can't. We have to lead the show with Patrice Bergeron. So at the time of recording, um, unless there's something that's brand brand new, Connor, that I've not seen. Uh, again, we're recording this Thursday at four o'clock. Uh, it is still unclear uh, whether or not he is traveling to Florida. I want to make sure I have that right. Uh, yeah, no word as of uh, Thursday afternoon. Uh, Jim Montgomery said at morning, uh, not morning skate, but during their, uh, his media availability over at Warrior, no idea in terms of if Bergeron was going to be cleared yet. The Bruins did post their usual like, social media thing of like the team getting on the plane. And you would think if Bergeron was on the plane, like going down to Florida, they would have featured him. Did not see him. So, again, not great in terms of uh, maybe where exactly he is in terms of his recovery. But, yeah, it's uh, less than ideal. I, I think you look at that game, too. Was Bergeron's absence the primary reason why they lost that game, especially in how lopsided it was? Probably not. But you can see what the domino effect is in terms of how much they miss having him out there. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people were hoping that, all right, he skated on on Wednesday. Maybe he's going to be back in time for game three. Seems like there's still in a bit of a holding pattern with him and when he's going to come back. Yeah, this doesn't look great. Um, I know we had discussed uh, or I had said on the postgame show after game one that, you know, look, if you if um, whatever this is, if you want to hold him out 
you know, for as long as it takes to make sure he's better for rounds after, um, you know, do it. But after watching game two, seeing that the Panthers are a formidable opponent, um, you could use him. <laughs> you could use Patrice Bergeron a lot. Um, and the worry, obviously, is that, you know, you saw, I saw the camera guys tweet out a video today of Bergeron skating on his own. It's the second straight day. He's just skated alone. Um, typically, that's what you do before you then go into a non-contact jersey and practice with the team, and then you practice for real with the team. So, again, it's the postseason, so things move at a quicker pace, at their own pace. Um, but this continues to not look great, and this continues to look like playing in that game 82 was really not the best move. Um, there has not been a moment yet, I don't think, pinpointed where he got injured. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. I, I have not seen the the, the specific moment. Um, but again, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of second guessing uh, if this series, no pun intended, goes south. Yeah, no. Uh, it, it Yeah, the optics of it are not good, however you want to spin it. And yeah, if you could make the argument that what Bergeron's been dealing with is something that he's been fighting through all season long. I think we've already said it. Once you get past game 82 and into the playoffs, no one has a hundred percent to say the least. So if it could be something he's, he's dealt with and just one slight tweak or something, uh, put it in, in, in the wrong spot where it went downhill. But um, again, those can happen in any situation. You look at like game four, against Carolina in 2019 Bruins were on their way going to the Stanley cup final Bergeron tweaks his groin. That was kind of it, right? Like, again, those things can happen, especially when it's something that could be like a soft mus uh, muscle injury or soft tissue injury. Um, so it, again, it, the timing of it's brutal, the optics of it aren't great and whoever you want to spin it, uh, it. It's like in a season where everything I think has gone right. And again, I, I phrase like this, like it's a very doom and gloom scenario, but just in, in terms of the fact that it seems like nothing has really gone wrong for this team uh, over the years or over this past season, uh, that's a brutal hit for the Bruins in terms of where they are, uh, you know, with that game 82, a game that really had nothing to play for. Yeah, again, you go back to that, and I, we had both said, you know, oh, you know, it's good that the power play kind of gets some more reps, and Marshan shakes the rust off, and and Taylor Hall shakes his rust off, but Bergeron was never really in our sights at the time. Uh, that was not a guy we felt needed <laughs> to shake any rust off. Um, but again, I mean, it, you know, again, the series is 1-1. The Bruins were never going to go undefeated to, you know, the Stanley Cup. They were not going to go 16-0. and um, But I think why people are, I do think it's a lot of overreacting today on Thursday. No. I think there's a ton of overreacting. Yeah. Can you believe it? No one's overreacting. <laughs> no, everyone's, everyone's very rational today. Um, I think there's a lot of overreacting. Um, as I said, they're never going to go undefeated, but I think it's the way in which Florida was really the better team through the first two games, which is kind of scaring people. And now you're headed back to Florida. I still think the Bruins are Fine. I like I'm I am not even going near the Panthers are gonna win this series. You know, Panthers in five, baby. They're gonna win the next four games. Um, but I think the one thing we've learned through two games, and people are gonna mock us for this, is that the Panthers are a legitimate opponent. Yeah, no, they can do a lot of damage in a hurry. And I think you you've seen, especially in uh these last two games, that four check is something that I think when we talked about them. In previewing the series, we talked a lot about how good they are on the rush uh, and you know how much their their defensemen get involved in offensive plays. But that forechecking uh, makes life miserable if they're playing at a really high level. So um, that's given the the Bruins problems, I think, in this in the series. But I think going back to what you said about 
how the Bruins should be fine. Again, I think they kind of got a wake-up call because you could even make the case that they were not the better team even in game one, right? They, I think, had a lot no, of they weren't. go their way in that game. <laughs> they were not. Um, but I, I think you look at that game, too. People look at that and, you know, the 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 doom and gloom of not just Bergeron, but the decor looked mortal for the first time in a long, long time. But that being said, I, I think you look at that game. Was that game uh, a bit like a situation in which Carol, uh, not Carolina, they kind of look like Carolina, a team like Florida was like just trucking the Bruins dominating play? Not really. Like, and again, it's not to say that you just look at like the Corsi rating or, or shot percentages or anything like that, but Bruins control play for a lot of it. It's just they made catastrophic like, uh, you know, reality uh, bending decisions in terms of what they had with the puck, right? It's it's like situations where you're trying to push the puck up the ice and all of a sudden it's like a lateral pass to the middle of the ice gets picked off. It's just so uncharacteristic of what you've seen from this team. And when you look at the amount of, I think it was what, Florida had like 20 high danger chances uh, at five and five play and the Bruins surprisingly got knocked for what? 15 uh, giveaways like a lot of those were just a situation which the Florida had a lot of bang bang plays where the Bruins made things easy for them and that's not to say that like this was a complete fluke or that the Bruins just you know made things uh, you know the Panthers didn't do anything to warrant that win but man the Bruins made it very very easy for a team like Florida that has that firepower to drop six goals on them right so I think those are things that you look at it uncharacteristic and things that I think can be easily corrected it's not like I think Montgomery and his coaches are looking at like video and like uh, we can't beat this four check or like they're doing stuff that we didn't expect and we're scrambling. It's the Bruins are doing a lot of self-inflicted things that with this poised veteran team, you have to imagine they can kind of shake out those cobwebs, shake off the rust and get back to just simple smart hockey. Cause that's what's really doing them in uh, through these first two games. It is. And I, I, again, I think the Panthers four check has been a huge part of that. I don't think that's going away, but as you said, um, you know, hopefully it's a wake up call for uh, for the Bruins. It's funny. Carl Corzini was on the postgame show explaining the differences in the Panthers four check between games one and two. It's like, whoa, OK, <laughs> the, the intricacies of it all. And it was it was pretty interesting to to hear about it and to see it. Um because it was the Panthers did switch up their forecheck a teeny bit um, in games one and two. I'm not going to get into all the intricacies of it um, on this. You can go back and watch the post game show if you'd like um, on all that stuff. But uh, the turnovers were really bad. Uh, those were were not great. Um, and I'll give the Panthers credit, Connor, because after game one, I think everyone had the feeling of the Panthers brought their best. They played pretty well. Still wasn't enough. And I think that was the feeling of everyone. That's why we sat here um, in that clip that's going around of us saying, yeah, this is the series is probably done uh, because I don't think anyone expected, you know, Lion was letting in those soft goals. Um, you know, they were having some breakdowns that they still lose the game. And it was like, oh, you know, the Panthers brought their, it was like the hurricanes a few years ago in 2019 when they peppered the Bruins in that first period. Then it was like, well, this is, this is over. Um, but credit to them. Like, Full yeah. props. I mean, the fact that they came out the way they did in game two um, and capitalized on chances and and honestly, like, you know, obviously the Bruins uh, identity is not, you know, grittiness and things like that. But they have guys like Bertuzzi and Hathaway. And we've talked about this a number of times this year. But there were a lot of times the Panthers were imposing. I mean, Radko Gudis, um, you know, Aaron Ekblad. Uh, there were lots of moments in that game. I know the Bruins ended the game with that scrum, those scrums. Um, but there were times that, Pan you know, the Panthers were kind of bullying the Bruins around a little bit out there. And it was, you know, I think it harkens people back to, you know, 2019 with the Blues where it's like, 
oh shoot, you know, there's got to be some kind of response here. I'm not saying you got to play to the Panthers game, but some sort of response. And it never felt yeah. like that came. Yeah, I think you just look at that game uh, on game two, and yeah, the Bruins pretty much just like pushed around that whole game. And I think the one thing that was really concerning for the Bruins in that in that particular matchup, beyond just the obvious, the turnovers, those things that are pretty glaring in terms of what led to such an unraveling. Bruins also were making things extremely easy for for Alex Lyon in that game. Really didn't get any high danger chances. weren't fighting into inside ice. I was telling uh, Ty Anderson, I was like, that kind of looked like a vintage like. Cassidy era Bruins team and the offense goes stagnant, controlling the play, getting a lot of shots, shot attempts, leading to all of nothing, a lot of low danger chances. And again, if you're not getting that inside ice, perimeter stuff. Kind of, yeah, what are you kind of doing out there? Right. So um I, I think that that's a situation in which um the Bruins, again, it's you look at how they correct these things. That's why I don't think that necessarily we should be doom and gloom because it's correctable things. Like we've seen it, this team, especially this year do a lot better job at fighting into that inside ice and having guys that can do a lot of damage on there. We've seen guys like McAvoy and Lindholm and Orloff who've all been great all year long, hit a bit of a rut now, but we're not asking them to turn into Bobby Orr or like Paul Coffey. We're asking like them to do, you know, clean uh, poise play with the puck, breaking the puck out cleanly and effectively. Like these are things that, again, the Bruins haven't done in these first, you know, uh, first two games, but they also aren't crazy asks for how they can get back in this series. That's why I don't think it's time to do doom and gloom. I don't think it's time to be like, oh my God, they're going to lose this series. Like I just, and I understand people are on edge to these playoffs. They're going to be very on edge every time the Bruins lose. I no. understand that. I understand it. We've both been around long enough to know that. And that's why we love you guys is that because it's, you know, because it's the cup. I know that sounds cliche, but it's, People are on edge at this time of year. It's a fun time of year, but it's also a very edgy time of year. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. Lineup changes. Big topic of conversation. And I want to say you and I were kind of ahead of this on after game one. We both kind of spotted the the issues with the breakout and said, you know, Matt Grizzick would kind of help with that. Uh, big time glorified uh, after game two. Uh, and Montgomery even came out and said that uh, he is willing to change anything um, going into game three. We'll get to the goaltending in a second because obviously everyone's kind of, you know, wondering about that. Um, feels like it's a pretty obvious move to put Grizzlick back in. Um, and we've, you know, discussed that at length, break, breaking the puck out. Who does he come in for, though? Yeah, I, I think it's a situation where you look at that game, too. Was Derek Forbert the weak link? No, I don't think so. I think he did his job for for what it is. But I think he's just the same way that I think Grizzlick's a very good player. Well, we're just the unfortunate odd man out in the scenario, right? Where I think you look at what the big, the Bruins' biggest issue right now is just breaking the puck out cleanly. Where's the helps in that in that spot? And I, I think you look at McAvoy and Orlov. As much as that pairing should make sense in terms of how effective they can be, really hasn't, right? Uh, when you look back at regular season plus the playoffs, Bruins have only outscored teams ten to eight with those two guys on the ice together. Which again, a plus goal differential, but 
eight goals against for a, a top pairing like that. It's kind of out of character for this Bruins team. So do you get Grizzly back in um, with McAvoy? You know what you're going to get out of that pairing. We've seen it for years now. And that allows you to get Orla further down the lineup where he can drive kind of his own pairing into a guy like Clifton. That might be the best bet for right now. Because, again, I think Fulbert has been solid. Um, you know, he's good at what he does at, on the PK. But this is also a Bruins team that, what, killed 38 straight power plays when Fulbert was recovering from an injury. Like, they are still going to be pretty good if they have Orlov and Lindholm take more of those PK reps. So, again, I don't think Fulbert necessarily is the guy that – he's not played himself out of the lineup, but he just might be the odd man out in terms of just the pure numbers. Because I think what Grizzly brings – it's kind of what it's needed in terms of just getting past this Florida four check. What about Clifton? What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, that could be another one in terms of you could, you could swap that around because Clifton doesn't get as much PK work. Um, then again, though, you're also, is it then are you slotting a guy like Grizzly over to the right side? Are you slotting Orlov to the right side? Like it's one of those things where, you, you know, you want Grizzly's skill set out there, but is it going to put another guy out of position? where exactly he brings. So Orlov and Clifton have played uh, a good amount this year. I think the Bruins have outscored teams 3 nothing in terms of I think it's like 70-ish minutes that they've played together. Not super lopsided, but uh, zero goals against is pretty good. That's your, your that's your third deep pairing. I think you'll take that, especially considering how things kind of went off the rails in game two. So um, that's what I would imagine they might take a look at in terms of game two just because – or in game three, rather, because um, – yeah, we know Grizzlick and the narrative or, you know, what his weaknesses are in the playoffs. Like, that's evident. But I think in terms of what he can do in terms of just making those first passes, those those clean plays out of the D zone, I think it's just what's needed right now for this team to kind of get back on track. Yeah, Forbert feels like the obvious one out there. Um, in the in the forward grouping, um, you know, if Ber- we talked if Bergeron does return, you know, is it Felino? Is it Frederick? Uh, doesn't feel like he's going to return at least right now. Um, but is there anyone you would still change out of that? I don't. I I don't know. I don't feel like the forward grouping really deserves a big reshuffle. That's just me. No. Yeah, I mean, I, I think things can might change around once you have Bergeron back in there, but you're just kind of in this holding pattern because I think right now uh, that Krejci, Bertuzzi, Pasternak line is not really working, and I think one no. kind of big issue right now is uh, David Krejci. Has not looked good. He looks like a step behind, which is not what you're kind of looking for for a guy that usually dominates play in the playoffs and a guy that you would hope would take a big step forward uh, or you know could really step up with Bergeron on the mend. Haven't had it with that line too much. It's too much trading chances, not enough uh, generating at five-on-five play. So um, if Bergeron comes back, I wouldn't be surprised if they swap things around, get the tech line together. You have more scoring depth added to the third line. It's just that, we, we know what Bergeron brings in terms of how good he is defensively face-offs, the on-ice intangibles, of course, but just that domino effect of what he brings and where it allows guys to slot down the lineup, I think that's where it's most most felt. Like, I don't think David Krejci is getting bumped down to the third line. I don't think David Krejci is sitting for a game, right? But in terms of getting the right pieces around him, you're not really doing that right now with Bergeron uh, out of the equation for now. Yeah, that Krejci line uh, with Pasternak and Bertuzzi looked awful. Um, yeah. in their own zone, out chance, just bad game. Um, and I know, you know, Montgomery said a lot this year, oh, that line, or, you know, Krejci and Postrock together, we don't care if they're out chance as long as they're capitalizing on theirs. Um, obviously just not the case at all in game two. And as you said, Krejci's look bad in games one and two. Um, so you're going to need something from him there. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, like that the 
Bertuzzi, Zaka, Pasternak line looked so good. So it's also yeah. like, why not just stick with that? Like, why not that kind of be your first, you know, your primary line um, and try to w- roll with uh, Marchand, uh, Krejci, and DeBrusque? Uh, but we'll see what ends up happening uh, with that in game three. So to the net, Connor, to the net. Uh, people are making their cases for Jeremy Swayman. I have made my case. I made it on the post game show. I think Lena Solmark should stay in net for game three. Uh, what do you think? Now you're unverified. So like, do we even, do we, do we trust your opinion on this? I, don't I mean, you probably shouldn't have anyway before that, but anyway, I digress. I'm um, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I still think he had a role with Olmark. I, I think you look at that game was, was Olmark sharp. No, I don't think he was nearly as poised as he usually is. And it's almost what we expect from him. But that being said, got let out to dry, like just so many. And again, do you look at some of those, you know, the, the filled outlet pass from Carlo that led to the goal from Bennett. McAvoy had a really bad turn led to Verhage's goal, but there was about four or five other situations where Puck either went wide or, or Olmark stopped it where. How about uh, the Brandon Montour one-timer from like the hash marks? In front of it, like yeah, there's no yeah. one like within was, four yeah, feet of him. It, yeah, exactly. There was four or five of those situations where it could have been a lot worse. Um, yeah, it just all Mark would just didn't have really didn't have much to work with at all uh, throughout that game. So I'm not, you know, hitting the panic button yet for him. If the Bruins have a much more competitive game uh, in Game Three, and he lets in a goal like Lyon did, and they lose by a goal or something, then maybe you you adjust because I think uh, that's where you need to timely save. That's something that's a that's a Bruce Cassidy classic uh, quote, timely saves. Um, and if Omar isn't able to deliver in that regard in some of these games uh, down the stretch, then maybe you adjust. But I don't – I'm not taking much from Omar and where he kind of stands on the depth chart off of that game too because nothing went right in that game in the slightest. No, again, most likely the Vesna winner. I, I don't, why would you take him out? Um, yeah. Again, as you said, if the soft goals start going in, then sure. Um, but – Ride the hot guy. I mean, really, like that's, you know, and again, I don't think it's time. It's not time to start doing these crazy shakeups. Um, it's one to one. You know, obviously you're heading to Florida. Florida's pretty good at home. I mean, it's not the craziest home environment. So, you know, I imagine there's gonna be a fair amount of Bruins fans there. Um, so, you know, you're going to have that. Obviously, the last change doesn't help uh, with Florida having it uh, for these next two games. But I don't think it's time to hit the panic button yet. Now, you want to hit the panic button on Bergeron? You can do that. Um, but the panic button on the Bruins as a whole this season, it's a loss. It's a loss. The Panthers are a legitimate opponent. We underestimated them. So did like everybody else. Um, so, but again, they've they've proven that they're they're right there. Now, who knows? These next three games, Panthers might not show up. Bruins just steamroll them. Um, who knows what ends up happening? But um, it'll be an interesting series, nonetheless. Uh, I still think they're it's not the most interesting series, but could be. Could continue to be shaping out to be. Who knows? Yeah, we'll we'll see what the next uh, Bruins beat. Uh, we'll see how the Montreal is. We're gonna be like disheveled by the time we record that one, and then we'll see just how the how the vibes are then. But again, a lot to be determined. It's, it's again not breaking new ground with saying how pivotal a game three is, but you look at just how much the Bruins has really struggled to control play. Big test for them in a rival building uh, in game three. So we'll see how they respond with or without Bergeron out there. Do you think the end of game two was a preview game three with the with the the hits, the chirping, the fighting? I think there's any chance that that uh, seeps its way into game three? I would not be surprised. Uh, those, are, I mean, you look at Florida. Florida's probably feeling confident about their game. I would not be surprised if 
it's probably instilled in the Bruins in terms of going into that building and answering them. So I would not be surprised for a entertaining game three. How about that, Evan? Which is good, which is what we want. We want some entertaining um, in this series. Connor, what can people look forward to from you over at uh, Boston.com and the Boston Globe? Yeah, we're going to be covered throughout this playoff run with uh, recaps, features, columns, breakdowns, all that good stuff. I'm here on site with uh, a lot of other very talented writers here. So we're going to have you covered uh, in-house uh, for games three and four. So uh, plenty plenty of intel coming your way on my uh, – and you can follow me on Twitter as well, even though I am unverified now, at Connor Ryan underscore 93. Well, you know what, Connor? It's unfortunate you're down there because on Saturday at 4.30 p.m. on Nesson, New England Hockey Journal's uh, latest show hosted by yours truly uh, about the NHL draft and the local kids going to the NHL draft will be on. So 4.30 on Saturday on Nesson. So maybe you can tune in online um, and maybe watch some Charlie Moore after. So it's going to be a great, yeah. be a great off day in the middle of games three and four. So if the vibes are high. The show will keep the vibes high if the Bruins win. But if they lose, it'll bring the vibes back up. So it's, yes, it's exactly. a best of both worlds type thing there. You can't go wrong. Um, so make sure 4.30 on Saturday on Nesson and make sure to go subscribe to New England Hockey Journal. That is Connor Ryan. I'm Evan Marinovsky. You poke the bear listeners. Have a great rest of your week. (laughs) 